All right, amen. So Luke 1, 46 to 56, God's word says this. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. Hear this, from generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Mary at this time uh, is with Elizabeth and was visiting Elizabeth when she sang uh, that song. So this is the word of the Lord. A few months ago, uh, some of you recall, I, we moved, uh, we, we bought a newer house closer to Shepherdsville here. We were living out in Mount Washington, wanted to get closer to uh, the church. And so uh, we moved from the house in Mount Washington over to Shepherdsville. And uh, I think all of us probably have moved at some point in our lives. Moving is, uh, could likely be like the most stressful thing you could do, right? Uh, selling a house, securing financing, making sure the dates all line up, and then the packing and the moving itself. Uh, I remember our realtor saying, this is the most stressful thing you're going to do in your life. So, uh, And yet as you pack your stuff in boxes, as you're moving and you prepare to uh, take it from your old place, your old house to the new place, there are oftentimes as you pack those things into boxes and totes, times of unexpected reflection and uh, nostalgia those of you in the room under 30 would probably remember at one point in time, we used to actually take what was called film, and we would print out the photos. We would have them developed. Uh, if, if you're under 30, you have probably all your photos, right, in that, in that little develop, device, the cell phone, uh, with photo albums in there. But we used to actually print out the physical copies of photos. And uh, when we were moving, we're, we're putting stuff in boxes, and you always kind of come across those old photo albums, okay? We would put photos into photo albums or scrapbooks, or, or if you're like my family, old Nike shoe boxes, right, with the anticipation of putting them in a photo album, but that just never seems to happen. Uh, when, when moving, you could come across, the reason why it's nostalgic or, or causes reflection, you come across things that kind of jar your memory. I know... Uh, whenever I dig through our shoebox of old photographs of our of our children, so my son's now uh, fifth, he's going to be 15 next month. That's crazy. Uh, my daughter's 17; she'll be turning 18 this next year. And you you know you kind of go back and you see those photos from when they were babies, and then it's like, okay, who started chopping up onions in here? I'm crying, right? So it brings back that nostalgic uh, feeling. That's photos. Uh, maybe you come across a baby book. You know, my mom gave me, uh, she's passed on now, but uh, she left a, a baby book to me that was my baby book showing kind of the journey of life, uh, the journey of my life through her eyes, through my parents' eyes, uh, through pregnancy to infancy and even into childhood, adolescence, and possibly some photos of, you know, things that have helped happen in adulthood, your wedding day and those types of things. Uh, and you, you see those small snapshots, those are, you know, pictures frozen in time, and what do they do? They tell you a story, don't they? They tell you a story of life, 
The story of life through the eyes of another, like a baby book is through the eyes of your mom more than likely because us dads are terrible at putting those things together. So through the eyes of mom. And so in this manner, we examine and learn about Jesus through the eyes of Mary. We are, we are granted like, like the discovery in moving her scrapbook in the gospel accounts here, her photo album or her Nike shoebox of Jesus's life through her eyes, snippets of information about Jesus, but also this, this is the important thing about Mary, and this is kind of our takeaway this morning. We see the journey of faith that she had to walk on her path to calling upon Jesus as Lord and Savior herself, which brings us kind of to our first snapshot and main idea here this morning. Our main idea is this, is that God uses a humble peasant girl to bring about the birth of our Redeemer. It's kind of our, remember Polaroid cameras, right? You'd click on it and the, the photo would come out instantly. It's kind of our first Polaroid this morning. God uses a humble peasant girl to bring about uh, the birth of our Redeemer. In all likelihood, uh, in this culture, uh, people got married at much younger ages. There really wasn't a time of adolescence. Uh, Mary probably at this point in time, believe it or not, wasn't older than 16, could possibly have been younger than that uh, when she conce- was conceiving Jesus. Uh, and she was just, the beauty of Mary in her life is she was just a normal, humble person. She wasn't royalty. She wasn't wealthy. She wasn't highly esteemed. She was just ordinary. And this is the means that, this is the beauty, beauty of the birth of Christ. This is the means that God worked to bring about the physical birth of his one and only son, Jesus Right, the extraordinary act carried out through just an ordinary, humble person. Mary says this in her song in verses 46 to 48. It says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Here it is. For he has, what? Looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, now we're going to look out the picture from generation to generation. They will call me blessed. Mary may have been ordinary, but this was no ordinary pregnancy. It was miraculous. We affirm that uh, there's a virgin birth of Jesus. Mary's pregnancy was, in fact, a miracle, a supernatural occurrence, a phenomenal virgin conception through the power of God's Holy Spirit, according to his word, and fulfillment of prophecy pinned some 700 or so years before the arrival of the Christ Isaiah, the prophet, penned this in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. He said, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Hear this. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name, what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is fulfilled some 700 years later in Mary, conceiving Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, in light of the paradox of this this lowly, humble servant girl bringing forth the divine Savior of the world, we look at Jesus through the eyes of Mary. Again, catching a glimpse of kind of the snapshots of of her life as conveyed through the gospel accounts and the book of Acts. And so our first point this morning is this. Through Mary's eyes, the coming of Jesus brings exaltation and realization the realization that God is fulfilling his redemptive plan through her, and he's keeping his covenant with Israel. 
Luke's gospel, oftentimes, if you read his gospel, the language he uses is, is he uses these kind of exultant, magnificent words, a, a very vertical-looking uh, book, a gospel, in, among the four gospels. And he also points out how God overcomes the distance within our vertical relationship with him through this miraculous virgin conception and birth. Looking again to Mary's song, uh, we'll look at verse 46 and then skip down towards the end, uh, 49 to 55. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. There's this example of that vertical language that Luke uses, this maj- these majestic words For he who is mighty, right, has done great things for me, and holy, right, set apart is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. It's expansive language, right, generation to generation. That what We get this picture that it's big. The mercy of God is big. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and... In the thoughts of their hearts, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, right? God is mindful of his people in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. God keeps his word. We witness here the very heart of God. Reminiscent, as I was reading through this, it it reminded me of the words of Christ uh, that would come later in his ministry in in Matthew 11. This isn't in your notes. He says this. This should be uh, very encouraging to us this morning. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Who needs rest this morning? As you can hear from my voice, I do too. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am, here's the heart of God, the heart of Christ, I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God takes the lowly, despised, and humble and does great things through them. That's what he does through Mary. And so through Mary's eyes, we witness the response of a a humble servant when they are used to do mighty things for the kingdom, we see in her song a response of exaltation and magnification of the character of God. She talks about his strength and his deliverance and his mercy and all that he has accomplished and all that he will accomplish. We see how expansive his promises are. Mary said, mercy is for those who fear him, again, from generation to generation. Even before Mary could see this great blessing from the Lord uh, in, in flesh and blood, she felt him within moving and kicking about. Can you imagine? I mean, I think one of my, one of my favorite memories of when my wife was pregnant with our two children was laying in bed at night, and you know, she had the big old pregnant belly hanging out, and you could see the little fish, you know, boof, boof doing backflips in there. She wasn't wild about it, but I thought it was cool. We can imagine Mary just exalting the Lord as she felt this infant, this child moving around inside of her. 
the story turns a little bit. We may expect with such a celestial entrance, a, a glorious entrance into the world. I mean, an angel visited Mary. She was with child and was a virgin. She had such an obvious connection with the Savior. She bore him miraculously. And yet we see even in Mary, this is the beauty of her story, even in Mary, the wrestling of her personal faith with the ministry of Christ. Her personal journey with Jesus. And so we kind of see kind of those candid photos now of of his life and her faith journey. It brings us to our second point. Through Mary's eyes, Jesus' ministry brings tension and hesitation. It brings tension and hesitation. Moving beyond the joy of the blessing of baby Jesus, we see now Jesus through Mary's eyes within his earthly ministry. So we're fast-forwarding a few decades. And the tension of Mary's belief in the power of Jesus and also the hesitation of Mary to fully embrace uh, Christ's calling, his ministry, we hold in tension this, this morning the story of, of Mary's request for Jesus to help. Uh, if you remember his first miracle in the Gospel of John, is that he turned water into wine. So her request for Jesus to help with the lack of wine at a wedding. And then another instance now where we see the tension uh, in the interaction with Mary and also her, her, uh, Jesus' brothers. In another instance of, of Mary and Jesus' siblings, seeking in the Gospel of Mark to pull Jesus away from his ministry. So we're going to look at these two passages. We'll pick it up in, in John chapter 2. 2, 1 to 5 says this, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also, also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. Okay, when the wine ran out, that's a problem. The mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Mary brings the problem to Jesus, and Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Obviously, within Mary's prompting there, there's an understanding that Jesus has a unique power, divine power, because she then gives instruction to the servants. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you to. What does Jesus do, right? He has them fills up Philip jars, and then he miraculously turns that water into wine, not just any wine, but the best wine. We know from this passage that, that Jesus does move forward with the request. His first public miracle documented by John exposes the belief that Mary had in her son Jesus as, as welding divine power. Yet, here comes our tension and hesitation. We see Mary's journey of faith. When we harmonize this miracle with another scene documented by Mark, we begin to understand through Mary's eyes, right, the tension of Jesus' ministry. Not only tension to her, but to other Savior expectant Jews. So you have to understand, family, in this time, in this culture, uh, the Jewish people had a high anticipation that the Messiah was coming, that deliverance was coming. They were waiting in eager expectation And in Jesus, the crowds were following him. If you pick up the story in in Mark, the crowds are following. Jesus is performing uh, many miracles. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. Uh, Mark notes that he's teaching with authority. But in this instance, sandwiched in this instance in Mark chapter 3, if you look to Mark chapter 3, verses 21, we'll skip to 31, 35. uh, Sandwiched in that, 
the scribes and the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders that are expectantly waiting for the Messiah, they accuse Jesus of what? Being possessed by a demon. And right before they say that, it says this. The Bible says this in Mark 3.21. And when his family heard, so what did they hear? Jesus had called 12 disciples to follow him. That's what's going on right before that. When his family heard it, they went out to what? To seize him, to stop him, to get in the way. Or they were saying, why did they get in the way of Jesus? Why did they, what, what were they thinking? It says here, he is out of his mind. What does that mean? They thought he was nuts. They thought, the mother of Jesus thought he was crazy. His brothers thought he was crazy. Enough to go out and interrupt his earthly ministry, or try to. Moving along in the story, they press in. Jesus is now teaching. He's, I believe he's in a house here. They're outside. It says, and his mother and brothers came. Right? They were so convinced, like, we're inserting, inserting ourselves into the situation. We're going to pull Jesus out. His mother and brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called to him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, that's Jesus, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever places their faith and trust in the finished work of Christ is the family of God. We don't have to delve too deep to, to witness the tension and hesitation of Mary towards her son's ministry. Right? What happened to the song that was, she was singing in Luke? The expectation, the exaltation, the magnification of the Lord for blessing her. Even in, in, in the Gospel of John, calling upon Jesus to perform a miracle at a wedding. Yet, when the ministry, what? Became tough. When it became difficult, when the respected Jewish leaders started saying, that guy's demon-possessed. When the soil was, was too rocky to till and, and convinced the greater Jewish leadership of, of who Jesus was, Mary and Jesus' family began to kind of pull back and recoil from his ministry, so much so that they didn't just rest in their house. They went out seeking him and saying, hey, he's lost his mind. We'll pull him back in. We'll take him home. And the question is, we can sit here again. We always want to turn the mirror on ourselves. We can sit in judgment of what they're doing. But have you ever questioned the plan of God? Have you ever found yourself having a conversation with God saying, God, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Is this really your plan? I'll confess I'm guilty, right? We see in, in Mary, this is the, we're going to see the beauty of grace and mercy here. We see in Mary the shortcoming and lack of faith in Christ. And, and who should understand this, right? A miracle birth. Angels came and spoke to her. And even Mary, her faith struggled at times. But we have another snapshot. This is the, we see the grace and mercy of Jesus. This is the good news. The compassion of Jesus, our third point. Through Mary's eyes, 
Jesus' ministry conveys compassion and purpose. Compassion and purpose. You see, this time of year, we want to stay snuggled, cozy in our homes with our Christmas trees and presents and think about sweet baby Jesus, but we have to go to the cross. I used to think, I remember when I first started out in ministry, uh, I was an associate pastor, and I told my lead pastor, I'm like, yeah, man, Christmas is like the Super Bowl. He goes, no, it's not. That's Easter. This is just a kickoff. The beauty of Christmas goes beyond the angels singing gloriously, the shepherds being drawn to the manger, because it does this. It confronts the reality of human depravity. What do I mean by depravity? Human sin. We want to stay cozy by the fire. We want to just look at baby Jesus, but we have to go to the bloody cross. As beautiful as Christmas is to us, the thought that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, so John describes Jesus, also beckons the question, why did this babe, why did this baby need to come forth? Why did God need to send, send his son? In another gospel account, we see the inclusion of, of King Herod's murderous threats. Show us, it shows us the depth of human depravity, human sin, the lust for power. We see it and we see sin and the condemnation of Jesus by both the Romans, and the majority of Jewish leaders. They, they showed us that even as, as they waited in eager expectation for the Savior, they just didn't see him. The paradox of, the, of this humble carpenter servant was too much to overcome. Why would, why would God come in the flesh so humbly? Many simply refused to believe that Joseph's seemingly ordinary son, Mary's child, was the one. Why? Because sin, human depravity, blinded their eyes. This is the very heart of the gospel, the reason why God sent forth his son to deal with my sin and your sin. And so through Mary's eyes, we see the compassion and purpose of Jesus. We see the gospel. Even Mary, the mother of the Christ, finds hope, love, salvation, and, this is a beautiful theological word, adoption at the foot of the cross. I said we got to go there. We have to go to the cross. Let's set the stage. Who's at the foot of the cross? Uh, If we look to the gospel of John, uh, you have, in John 19, you have, Uh, The disciple that Jesus loved, we believe that's John himself. And you have who? Mary. Jesus' mother. And listen to what has gone on. We want to just, we want to sanitize the story. We don't want to think about all the blood. We don't want to think about everything that's happened up until this point. But Jesus was wrongfully accused. He did nothing wrong. He was perfect. And it was everybody that said crucify him. If we were in the crowd, we would have said crucify him. And and Jesus, when he was condemned, he was taken and he was flogged. And it was brutal. His flesh was ripped from his bones. 
If it was according to it was according to the prophecy of Isaiah, he wasn't even recognizable. And he carried the cross of shame through the streets, the crossbeam, and his his body was so frail that he buckled under the weight of the cross. That another man had to come and help him as he made his way uh, to the hill. They called it the skull, Golgotha. And Jesus was nailed to the cross. And the cross was dropped, I believe, into a hole with a thud. They affixed king of the Jews over the top of him. And we can imagine this gruesome and bloody scene. And here at the foot of the cross is Mother Mary, the beloved disciple. The same Mary that said, you're crazy, come home. The same disciples that scattered and ran away when things got tough. And here at the foot of the cross, two sinners. What did Jesus say? Away from me. No. The Bible says, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, we see the compassion of Jesus. Right? So many of us have a journey through life and we have mom problems and dad problems, and, and the solution is I'm just not going to have a relationship with them. Jesus' mom thought for a season that he was crazy, and yet Jesus draws her in. She's sitting at the foot of the cross. She's seeing her, her son up on the cross, his, shed his blood. Jesus looks down at his mother. And looking at both of them, he says, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. Jesus bringing these two together. We get a picture here of adoption, don't we? Connection through Jesus. And then it finished, the word finishes out, and from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. Family. Compassion. Think of that phrase from Matthew 11. He's, behold, I'm gentle and lowly heart. It's my Savior. That's your Savior. A snapshot of Jesus caring, caring for the physical, here's the thing, it's beautiful, and the spiritual well-being of his own mother. It becomes clear that, that the young lady who exalted the Lord upon finding out about her miraculous conception, and yet 30 years later was attempting to draw Jesus away because she thought he was not of sound mind. Also, Mary also needed Jesus as Lord and Savior. This physical family member of Jesus, his very mother, also needed to be adopted into the spiritual family of God. And here's the truth. You and I, do also, you and I also need to. We need to be adopted into the family of God. This is the bottom line of God's plan to fix the underlying human condition. We need to be redeemed from our sin and adopted into the family of God. Through Mary's eyes, we, we have a beautiful picture of this colliding together at the most gruesome place of death, the cross. The beloved disciple, John and Jesus' mother, 
Mary brought together at the most unlikely place, right? Redemption Hill. But the story, this is the beautiful thing about the gospel, the story doesn't end with death, does it? It continues. Through the mourning and the tears, right? How could it possibly end this way? How can the Savior die and stay dead? And the truth is, we know this, he didn't stay dead, family. But rather, on the third day, he emerged from the grave, conquering sin and death. And he appeared to many, it seems, including his mother. And so now we we fast forward to the book of Acts. What's happened at this point is that, you know, Jesus died on the cross. He, He bodily died. He really died dead, dead. He's put in the grave. On the third day, he raises from the grave. He appears to many... And then we, we come into the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, and now after Jesus in his resurrected body has appeared to many, he's, he's readying himself to ascend to heaven, to be seated at the right hand of the Father. He commissions the disciples to go and take the good news of the gospel. He says, but wait, I have one more gift for you. Wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And so now the disciples are gathered in, in this upper room, and that's where we pick up uh, the, the story in Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. I want you to notice who's there. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Here, here, they, here they are, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, okay, the women that had witnessed Jesus resurrected and were helping with his ministry. And here's another one. Mary, who? The mother of Jesus. Jesus, come with me, you're out of your mind. To the foot of the cross, to the upper room. Here she is. And then if we go a couple lines further, and who? His brothers. It's the beauty of the grace of God. Through Mary's eyes we see what Jesus is capable of. He can overcome the hardest of hearts. The miraculous virgin a conception of Jesus was but just one aspect of the redemptive plan of God. But the goal and action of God went far beyond swaddling cloths in, in a manger. It journeyed through conveying the power of the kingdom of God coming to earth in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The healing of the sick and brokenhearted. The teaching of God's word with authority. Redemption has come in the perfection of Jesus, and this is the beauty of Christ, not only in dying for us, but Jesus also lived for us and is living for us. The story's not finished. I said Jesus, he, has, he showed compassion, and the other word I used was purpose. It's where purpose comes in. You see, in that upper room, the Spirit of God was poured out. All those people that were there. They're filled then with the, with the power of God's Spirit. We know in the book of Acts, the disciples went forth preaching the gospel. 
I mean, right immediately after this, Peter, the coward, preaches the gospel. Thousands are, are reconciled to Jesus. And we can assume, we're going to enter into the realm of a little bit of speculation here. We can, we can assume and speculate, if you must, that, that each and every person in that upper room went forth exalting the Lord. Why? Because they were empowered by God's Holy Spirit and proclaiming His great plan of redemption. We know that the, the disciples, the apostles, went forth doing that. We know that His brothers did, because we have letters from them, uh, Jude and James. And I think it's safe to assume that Mary did. She, be, she proclaimed the good news about Jesus. A purpose in her life wasn't just to bring about uh, the virgin birth of the Savior, but to proclaim His majesty to the ends of the earth. Jesus is the hope of the earth. Salvation through preaching, salvation through faith in the finished work of Jesus. All these people in this room. From another Mary in the upper room who had a past. To the disciples who had scattered and ran. To the family of Christ who thought he was nuts. They had all experienced the compassion of Jesus. They had witnessed the resurrection of Christ they had been filled with the power of God's Holy Spirit, and now they're blasting out with this good news of the gospel. The picture has become clear. The vision of Christ's kingdom expanding through his followers, empowered by the very Spirit of God, and this is, this is beautiful, covered by the righteousness of Jesus. Going forward, okay, not just staying still, not just huddling together, but going forward with mission and purpose. And so this brings us to our last point. I hope this is an encouragement to you. Point number four, through Mary's eyes, the journey of faith is not always straightforward. We see the pathway, right? We see her begin with exaltation and then call upon Jesus to move in power to change water into wine, and then to think that he's crazy, to then be at the foot of the cross, to then be in the upper room. Through Mary's eyes, the journey of faith is not always straightforward. My journey of faith has not always been straightforward. I'm thinking the same thing for you. It brought to mind this proverb Right, we think we're we think we're going this way, but really we're going here and here and here. That's the journey of, of Mary. It's it's almost like a roller coaster up and down. Proverbs sixteen nine says, The heart of man plans his way, what but the Lord establishes his steps. God wasn't caught off guard. And God's not caught off guard when you're struggling. When when you think, Really, God, this is the plan? It's why I love, there's a saying I throw out there, it's attributed to like four different guys. I don't know who said it the first time, so I'll just put it out there. God draws straight with crooked sticks. We see that in in Mary. God draws straight with crooked sticks. Here, there, and everywhere. But God got her to where he wanted her to be. 
at the foot of the cross and in the upper room. And so we all have a story, a journey. Right? Again, the, this, the idea of pictures in a box, the, the Polaroids of our life and life's journey in all its ups and downs. And so where are you? Where are you in, in the journey? Some of you, maybe even before Mary's song in your life, you don't even know who Jesus is. You're not at that place yet. You may not have come to Jesus yet. Here, here's the, the truth. You've, you've heard the gospel preached this morning that Christ came and lived perfectly in your place. That he went to the cross of shame and he shed his blood covering your sin. He went into the grave and he raised from the dead on the third day, defeating sin and death. And he ascended to heaven where he is ruling and reigning. Will you place your faith and trust in Jesus? Some of you are maybe in the exaltation stage. You're just, you're just happy to be a part of God's family. Singing his praises. Things are good. I'm excited to be adopted by Jesus. Some of you may be in a season of difficulty and misunderstanding. Maybe you don't think Jesus is nuts, but you're questioning God's plan right now. Come to the foot of the cross. And some of you may be at the place in the upper room ready to carry forth the purpose of God's redemptive plan. I hope that's all of us. Wherever you're at. You're ready to realize that God's Spirit has filled you up. You're not supposed to keep that to your supposed You're supposed to go out, proclaim good news about Jesus. We all move along in this journey of faith just like Mary. And just like Mary, we have the opportunity to receive the compassion and love of Jesus at the foot of the cross. And just like Mary, we have the opportunity to live a life of purpose in the upper room, being forgiven of sin by the shed blood of Jesus, alive with Christ through his conquering uh, death and resurrection and set forth with purpose in this present life through the mission empowering of his Holy Spirit. That's you, Christian. And so as I think through Mary's story, it brought to mind the old hymn. How does it go? This is my story. This is my song. Amen.